0: It's official, we are live. <laughs> hi, Todd, hi, Kyle.
1: Hey, how you doing,
0: hey. i And so, so we, we, already, we already skipped, oh my gosh, I'm so excited to see you before <laughs> we live. So <laughs> sorry about that, everyone. But uh, yeah, I'm truly excited. I was telling uh, Thomas and Kyle and I mean it. Uh, only invited people on the podcast that we are certain are going to bring a lot of value to to you guys because everyone is so busy and you know when you guys take the time to listen to anything or watch anything on any social channel I know we want to make sure it's something valuable so you know with every podcast we do our best to make sure it's filled with knowledge and I know these two guys uh, I personally am a fan Uh, they've been doing this for longer than I have so big fan over here. I'm so excited to have you guys. And just let's pretend there are a few people that don't know who you guys are. If you do like a quick introduction and tell us about you guys, that would be awesome.
1: Sure. Yeah. Do you want me to kick off, Kyle? Yeah. Yeah. Age before beauty, right? No. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So I'm Thomas McMahon, as you can tell by my little name in the screen here but um, i've been doing digital marketing since about 2012 uh, when i was out of college doing like seo work and things like that moved to clickbank about five years ago as an account manager we um, got to work with the platinum level affiliates and media buyers and like the biz op im vendors and sellers um, and then moved into a biz dev role a few years ago over here to help onboard upcoming offers and affiliates to get scaled on the platform things like that and it's just been a rocket. So, I've been very fortunate to be at ClickBank. Um, they treat me very well, and it's been a blast to work with people like Kyle. Most of the time. But yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> most of the time.
2: <laughs> most of the time. Yeah, yeah. It's when we're doing work, it's fine. When I tell him about this uh, recent, like, true crime podcast or um, a thing I, I heard about a her. cult, yeah, yeah, that's that's when he's like, not so much. So. <laughs> Um, well, so I'll, I'll jump in next. So, uh, mine's Kyle Kosteka, which isn't as intuitive as Thomas's name when you see it down at the bottom. It, it takes a little bit more. Um, it's nightmares for substitute teachers, for sure. Uh, so, I've been in uh, digital marketing, it'll be four years coming up here soon. Um, and I, I kind of uh, fell into it on accident. So, I actually came from an accounting background. And I didn't really know what ClickBank did when I got a job there, um, and it started as an account manager. And I'll be honest, I didn't like it at first. At first, I was like, "This is everything I hated about life." And we made fun of an accounting school. So, uh, but then uh, once I really got into, it, I realized it was a, it was kind of a match made in heaven, and um, you know, worked with pretty much every vertical um, while I was there, and ending with um, the top clients on in the health and fitness side. Um, and then even went and worked uh, for one of the top clients for a years as a director of marketing. And just recently came back and it's been fantastic. So get to work with Thomas again, um, which is great. And and yeah, I just ClickBank is family to me. So love all the people there and, and love the opportunity to talk to a bunch of online marketers and help their businesses grow. Which I we get to do today,
0: yay! I know, guys. <laughs> okay, so we'll dive in on a lot of the uh, you know the specifics. Because you know there are a few things that we're gonna go through, and I'll you know I'll like and Kyle, there like as you guys can. Uh These brilliant guys actually work, and they—if not now—they did at one point with people guys that are thinking about becoming product owner. Um, And you know, you guys know Maxob works super closely with ClickBank in the sense that we love a lot of the products. That's why when you go to the campaign page, you're gonna see we have a lot of products because uh, some of the product owners need payment processing, and we'll go through that as well. Why it's important to have payment processing because. (laughs) If you're just getting started you're thinking well i'll go to the bank and i'll figure out the mids uh why would i need clickbank right why would i need a payment processing company so we'll get to that in a moment i just wanted to make a very short parallel that you know these guys are are actually people like you guys it's not just me that have the pleasure of dealing with affiliates like you guys every day um I'm excited just how many people are live. Like, I, I'm looking at some of the names, and it's so early for some of you guys. and so late. Like, I, don't know, I think it's, like, 12, the midnight. Uh, for Davish, it's, like, early because he's on the Pacific. So, anyway, I appreciate you guys. It's so awesome to have you live. And uh, let's dig into it. We'll do. We'll okay. go through the do's and don'ts. So, um, let's pretend it's, uh, it's late. I'm an affiliate. I'm doing fairly well, right? We don't want to discriminate. It can be an affiliate that's doing uh, 50K a day, an affiliate that's doing, uh, you know, $500 a day. It's still a great affiliate because he, that means he doesn't have to work a nine to five job. Um, and he's thinking, okay, I really want to create my product because the grass is always greener. We do all the work as affiliates. I mean, product owners just create a product out there and so easy, right? Uh, We do all the work. We create the ads. We have to bring in the emails. So I want to become a product owner. You guys, what do you think? Three things that I should be doing tomorrow. Let's start with that.
2: Mm, Three things. Well, I. Also, I'll go first. I think the first thing you should do before you jump into that is define why you're doing it. So grass is always greener, but oftentimes people jump into, hey, I want to be an offer owner. And um, the reasons don't line up with reality very well. And they kind of get woken up by the harsh reality that, like you said, hey, there," you know, I'm doing all the work. Well, you're doing one portion of an offer owner's business, right? They have so many other things they have to worry about after they acquire a customer, which also takes a lot of work to get to a point that they could even have an offer that a, a customer wants to buy. And then what do you do after they buy it? So um, I, I just always think one of the biggest things is identify what's your goal, what are you hoping for? Um, if it's marginal revenue or do you want to have more money out of it? Well, what's the plan for more money? It's just selling an unjudging product. Like what, what does that really look like? Um, and, and start defining and mapping that out um, I think sometimes people might find that it's not right for them when they do that phase, or at least they know what kind of offer owner they're going to be, which is a key component for success. Um, and we'll go and delve in that a little bit later. Why? So, but that's one reason I think I would just stop, pause and clearly define what your goal is before you jump into it.
1: What's one that you have, Thomas? Yeah. Just to reiterate, like if it's a pure margin, like, Oh, I want to get like, you know, cause the vendor owner gets all the money. I only get this portion of the commission. Uh, you're probably getting most of the profit margin as the affiliate, right? Um, For a lot of the scaled offers that we all know and love, right? They're giving away, if not all the profit margin, um, or even some of, they might even be going negative to acquire the customer after they pay you, right? Um, So it's the, I I would, what I would recommend doing first, right? Is really fleshing out what is the offer that you're actually going to promote, right? As an affiliate, you, or excuse me, build as an affiliate, you are, you have a plethora of options, right? You're spoiled with options and offers you can promote. Um, You know, you can test one the next day, you know, try another one the next day and it's, it's a cornucopia out there of top offers and you just, you know, go by rankings and go by what Anna's giving you by what we're giving you. Right. <laughs> um, when you build an offer, you've got the offer, <laughs> right. And obviously you can have different hooks and angles to kind of split it, but to actually build it out, um, and get it for off the ground, you've got all your eggs and essentially one basket at that point, right. To kind of get affiliates to promote it. And they've got a ton of offers out there too. Right. So it's really driving home what's going to be that unique hook for that offer and kind of what is that selling point. So if you want to start now, right, it's probably going through your top offers you've promoted as an affiliate seeing what's converted really well, um, understanding why it's converted really well to your traffic and what type of traffic it's converting with and really just flushing out, okay, we're gonna target this kind of demographic, this kind of offer and this niche. Um, these are what I can expect to do and really start backing into that even before we start the copy, right? You should have a good idea of what the offer is before you start looking to hire a copywriter, which in my opinion, might be the next step at, at that point, right? It's kind of flushing out the actual copy and what that actual offer is. Would you two agree with that? Is that-
2: yeah, I, I would agree. Once you kind and one of the things I just want to mention too, when you're going and evaluating, um, hey, is this all right? Look, here's the offers I'm promoting. Is this kind of what I want to do? It's really important to look at the competition in the in the offer space that you're looking at. So, if, for example, if you're in, you want to do a weight loss offer, weight loss supplement. Um, right now, the competition for that is is pretty large. So there's a lot of offers in that space, and just know that that means that you're going to have to have that much better of an offer you're going to have people constantly competing against you and some of the biggest tenured marketers out there. Um, So, so that kind of gauges, all right, in terms of an investment standpoint um, and time and money and resources, I'm probably going to put in more into that because it's highly competitive as well as the other thing I always think evaluate is look at the success rate of the offers. How long do they last in that space? How long are you seeing offers hanging around for how often are there whales of offers that show up? If it's once in a blue moon, um i'm not a fan um this is probably my accounting nature i'm not a fan of betting on blue moons um i'd rather go on something that feels stable um and and having hope for that kind of scale um and then i'm just gonna put my one plug if you're looking to create an offer make a survival offer that's a good one to choose right now I i would do that so um but yeah the next is is hiring a copywriter and or i shouldn't say hiring it's Getting the copyright. so you might feel like you could jump in and write your own copy. I would strongly recommend getting some sort of course or process or training if you haven't already, or if you want to accelerate the process, kind of you know reduce your lumps. Um, you could go into hiring a copywriter, um, which you know you really have to figure out what your budget's going to be, which um, is that you know I, I tell you this way: there's always a risk with hiring a copywriter. How much you spend. Mitigates that risk is <laughs> all that happens. It's going to be smaller, but it's never a hundred percent guarantee. If you're hiring and spending fifty k for a top copywriter versus spending two grand for a junior copywriter, you might actually still get just as good copy from the junior copywriter, but that is a much less likely scenario. Uh, but yeah, r- really important. And I'd actually even say I'd recommend, regardless if you hire or do it yourself, go through a copy training course. Um, just so you could chief and understand if your copys good or not um, that's where a lot of people get burned is they don't really know if their copy's good um, and so it's, it's
1: hard to understand right, um, right. writing a funnel ad copy and things like that an email swipe copy ends up being a lot different than writing you know a full offer mm-hmm. copy right from a BSL or long form sales lander page it's a very different skill set yeah yeah
2: and that's why it's it's much more formulaic I think than, you get really creative with email swipes and top of the funnel ads, um, but when you get into long form copy, it's it's pretty formulaic. It's it's more of a structure and a talent than just a talent. So,
0: we, you guys covered so much. So, if you don't mind, I want to take some of the pieces and like unfold those a little bit because uh, Thomas, you said something that actually it's super important. A lot of the product owners will give the affiliates most of their front end, if not all of it, right? So this is such an important one. um, And I'll let you guys, you know, I would love to hear your opinion. But I see so many affiliates that are so used to getting high CPAs. They think it's normal. It's okay. Um, But they don't realize the work that goes in the back end to afford the high CPAs. So let's take a supplement. It's uh, $69. You are getting a hundred bucks, right? Or 80, 90. Anyway, let's just assume it's higher than how much a bottle costs, right? Um, So the product owners, uh, they have maybe an email list, right? Or they have um, media buyers on the back end that send email to customers. So they afford to uh, give you the high front end. Um, Even if you run on RefShare, you're used to getting 100%, which means on the front end, Get us all the money. That means you have to have really good upsells, right? So I've, you know, I've seen it at least twice or three times now, only in the last uh, eight months, when affiliates that became product owners started with a CPA that was too high. Even refesh. I mean, this goes hand in hand. You guys know we only do CPA, but we don't want you to lose money because if you're going to be losing money uh you know, the Tom and Kyle on the processing side, they're not gonna make money. We're not gonna make money on the CPU, So we don't want you guys to lose money, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I wonder if you have any worst stories with, you know, people giving uh, payouts that were too high too quick uh without assessing the average order value correctly.
1: Yeah yeah I, so think I think that yeah I mean we I was chatting with a good friend of all of ours a few years ago at TNC before he was one of the bigger players in the space kind of thing. And he was asking me at a party like, hey, I think I can pay a $90 CPA and get a bunch more affiliates, right? And I asked him like, okay, well, what's your lifetime value right now? He's like, I don't know, (laughs) right? And I was like, well, (laughs) like I know what your average order value is. If you're paying a $90 CPA, right? Like you're gonna be in the hole on every sale. Like, can you make that back in one month, three months, six months, whatever it might be? And can you float that spend? He's like, oh, I hadn't thought about that, right? And it's that, <laughs> and in, no people don't, right? If they're not used to it. So it's that kind of good point. And like you said, right, the, like we've seen, we obviously ClickBank's a rev share versus CPA platform. Um, and w- what what's happening is people basically back into a CPA net refunds, you know, for their, percentages. So you might have a hundred and fifty or two hundred dollar average order value for these supplements. And they're probably giving on average 65% away to the affiliate, sometimes higher for certain affiliates, sometimes lower. Um, so you're getting these really good payouts to affiliates on these average order values. And yeah, the margins are razor thin. Right. I know affiliates margins are thin too because Facebook's the real one making all the money here, right? But (laughs) Um, damn you Zuckerberg. Um, but it's, it's a whole different game, especially with physical goods when you have to handle cogs, um, and the cost of goods, the supply chain of things coming in, fulfillment costs, right? Customer support goes up the you know, um, that can start to climb up. So there's a lot more complexity to an offer business than an affiliate business, just from an operations standpoint, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not even, sometimes, sometimes the margins look good on paper and then scale starts to happen and things start to break down um, and you kind of have to almost like hurry just to plug the holes a bit, just to kind of keep the boat afloat. Um, And the ones that do are the ones we've seen stick around for a year plus as an offer versus kind of spiking and, where'd that, where'd that offer go? That did great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really,
2: it really comes down to an operational mastery that you have to have as an offer owner. Um, One thing to dial back, I think it's always important to know too, is when I thought about like, Hey, what's the difference between an affiliate versus like an offer owner and on the front end, like affiliates are out to acquire commissions, And, um, are out to acquire customers because when they have the customers, that's a long-term asset. Um, and it's an asset that quickly turned into cash, which the problem that Thomas is describing is is a revenue problem, right? You're chasing revenue, not cash. And people don't realize that, that, you know, it sounds stupid that people don't realize this, but cash is really the health of a company. If you don't have cash, you can't do anything else. Revenue is meaningless without cash in hand. Um, so, It's just really important to understand that when you collect that asset, you need to know how to pull the money and cash out of it, um, how long it's going to take you, how much you're going to get of it, um, and how much it's going to cost you to get all that stuff. So that's a lot of operational things you have to worry about. Um, And then you probably are going to have to start hiring staff as you scale. Now you have whole new things to to worry about and deal with. And and obviously there's a lot of things that we talk with clients about to make that process and jump easier. Um, And in the end of the game, you can't have a very stable, successful business when you understand that. Um, But, but it is a lot more than just creating an offer to be successful. And that being said, creating offers a lot of work in itself. So, you know, um, one thing I'd always say is when as an affiliate, one of the great things as affiliates to offer owners Because you have one of the biggest and most hardest challenges already solved, which is traffic. So take that traffic, test your offer, make sure you know all your numbers so you don't get in a situation like you guys both described um, where you understand, okay, this is what my AOV is um, for this traffic source. Here's the performance I'm getting. Um, This is what I can offer affiliates. And this is also how I can monetize that afterwards. So I can know what my float with cash is going to be, how much cash on average I'm going to get in. Um, and now you can really start to build um, an offer and a business. After that,
0: a hundred percent, I love it. So next, I would love for us to chat for a few minutes about content, which means you know the the copyright piece, and then we would love to go into the processing. So we have seen offers that do well when the product owners himself, like it happened with Lexapure, for example. Uh, you know, they wrote the copy of the offer and it was great and it was, you know, successful, um, but that's, you know, that's an exception from what I've seen at least. Usually uh, it's a special set of skills to be a good copywriter and especially a good copywriter that will write a good VSL or even a good TSL if you're not ready to start with the video yet, right? Um, so it's very, very important and I would love to hear you guys if you agree or not, um, it's important for you to decide if you think you're good enough to write the copy or you should be investing into a good copywriter. Uh, and we have some brilliant ones in this space. And from my experience, when I've seen people invest in good copywriters, it really pays off right we're talking about good copywriters that are they have proven track records not someone on fiverr that's going to charge you money and they don't even know what performance marketing is right so i'm curious you know what are you guys seeing because for me when i see people actually invest in a copywriter it pays off in the long term
2: yeah yeah you know, I, I don't i I've, I've actually seen kind of a, a mix um but i will tell you um Cause, cause the flip side is like, you could hire a copywriter and it goes poorly, right? Like it's not like hiring a copywriter guarantees you success. Um, I think though, the, the speed to success is quite a bit different. Um, if you're going to try and teach yourself copywriting, I would anticipate you should spend quite a bit of time mapping out offers, going through courses, testing, copy, writing your own sales page or script over and over and over again getting into a place where people can review it so you're just going to take a lot more time with that that being said if you learn and teach yourself to write copy well and you have a passion and a desire to write copy you're going to be really well positioned for your offer into the future because you're not going to be dependent on hiring a copywriter you could still do it to maybe beat your control and sharpen iron and i mean even like the top investing companies hire outside firms or top advertising companies hire outside firms to kind of push and drive their internal teams, so it's always smart to do. But um, you know, when you have that skill set, your ability to generate new offers, tweak and optimize your current offer is gonna be substantially better than somebody that doesn't have any of that copywriting experience. That being said, um, you know, if you don't like it, you don't have a passion for it, you don't have a talent for it, it doesn't matter how much you try to do it, it's probably still gonna suck. So a lot of that, you have to do some self-reflection. Um, but then at the same time, if you're going to hire copywriters, You need to understand your skill set should lie in your ability to, you know, copy chief, manage, set clear expectations, performance metrics, communicate really, really well. Um, That's going to really ensure your success. The people that do well with hiring copywriters are great communicators on the product, what they want from them, what their general idea is. um, And then also reading the copy and being able to push back when it's not what they want. Um, I've seen a lot of people say think they wrote the check, the copy's good, and it comes back, and I'm like, did you read the sales page? It is <laughs> trash. Like you got to be able to push back and know that something's bad um, and set to your standards. So it's, I think it's just one of those things. That it really depends. Sorry, I'm fidgeting with a, a little kid toy, um, but it really depends on where you think your skill set lies. And yeah, there you go. And if you don't know,
0: everywhere,
2: right. <laughs> um if if you don't know i would say ask if you feel like you can answer internally ask your closest friends um you know co-workers mentors whoever what they think you would be better at um before going to that decision because it's a big one i would argue it's it's going to make or break your offer more than anything else will is that first decision with either if i'm going to write the copy or if i'm going to hire somebody
1: any thoughts there thomas no, I think you exactly. nailed it, right? It's a it's an allocation of resources. Do you want to spend more time learning how to write it yourself? Um, which is not a bad skill set to have by any means. It's probably like I said the most important skill set to have. Um, or do you wanna pay someone to get you there faster? Right. Like we like we saw with Emily Lark, you know, she's got a great story of having all these VSLs printed out on her floor highlighting parts oh, of them, yeah. at the end, right? And it's like and it took her years to get her offer off the ground, right? Um but I've also seen it take years when someone's trying to hire copywriters and they keep mishiring and misfiring on ideas and, you know, and they are just spending instead of spending the actual time to do it, they're just spending money to have someone do it, but still took, you know, a year and a half to two years to get a actually working offer off the ground. So there's no proven, you know, best way to do it by any means. Um, Yeah. hear what Kyle said and stick with what you want to do and what you want to hire out for, then go tackle it. I I
0: think, it's brilliant that Thomas uh, underlined exactly what I wanted to underline from what Kyle said, that it is possible, however, a big however, is to put in a lot of work. And I actually wanted to uh, offer Emily as an example because she was here talking to some of our max friends before, and this is exactly what she say, shared, you know, how many months she on the learning and really getting into, okay, what is a good VSL? Should I be watching VSLs all day if I want to create one? Yes. that's it. So it's possible, but you really need to prepare to put in a lot of work. So I'm so glad that you, you mentioned that too.
1: Yeah. I will just couch too, like I think a lot of us are talking about top offers, right? If you want to make like a top scaled offer, that's a seven, eight figure offer kind of thing, which everyone wants to do. But, right, there's lots of offers that do very well, you know, underneath that realm that, you know, are great long-term, steady, steady offers, right, that make, you know, five figures a month, six figures a year, you know, multiple six figures a year kind of thing um, that are still platinum level or whatever other awards that people give out, right? So it's, um, yeah, and I think in that realm, you have more room to play, right, if we're not talking absolute best and talking rest of the field, but still lucrative, and there's a lot of ways you can cut your teeth and then your tenth offer you roll out might be the big eight figure one, right? Because you're it's kind of that iteration step. But.
2: yeah. No, that's a great point, Thomas. I, I've seen that time and time again. I think we've lots of the clients we talked to that are the the OGs or or massive clients now, you know, they started with like simple digital offers that maybe made five figures in a year. Um, and then they got to six and then you get to seven and eight and it's, it could be a slow climb. But the other thing too, is those offers could be repurposed. You could optimize the assets don't necessarily go away, which is one really nice thing about the offer owner side is the collection of assets that you could build over time. Um, But I do think with that, it's always good to have a really long-term mindset when you're going to an offer creation, it it could be a bit more of a journey um, sometimes in the affiliate side of things
0: absolutely uh i was because i didn't want to forget i wrote down before we started i was like okay so there are a few things that i really want to ask you guys so um besides the copyright which was you know we are that's important i mean if you're serious about this the copyright um, but i really want to spend some time so chatting with people about processing um, because this is an employee don't really think about it right you here's okay well I'll you know I'll, I'll go to Maxweb and get processing. And you can I mean, we do a lot. We're great, right? For as an example, uh, we'll help you if you're an affiliate. You can sign in and have access to offers, but we won't be able to help you with processing, right? But then the next idea was, well, um, can I help? Uh, I'm in the US, right? I can figure out that our company. Um, many times, the answer is yes, you can however that be however um, it's a lot of risk once because in performance marketing a lot of our offers have strong statements even if it's weight loss or help uh, performance marketing uh, I always think about it as aggressive right we're aggressive we're very nice with the customers in the back end I mean if anyone calls we'll refund um, however a lot of the offers in our space are very aggressive that's how we build the front end and the videos and whatnot so Processing is important because it's going to help affiliates uh, not have that huge risk. Um, But also what I've seen, and I'll let you guys tell me more about your your stories. I have seen affiliates that started, actually invested in the copyright, Uh, eight months later they had a decent offer getting steadily 50, 70, 100 sales every day on a constant rate. Um, and then what? They did not plan for enough processing. So they got a call from their uh, processor saying, Well, why are you selling so much through this mid? Uh, your agreement is, you know, XL a month. You are doing way too much. You can't do that. We're going to close your mids down, which means you can't sell anything. So processing is very important. I mean, you can do it on your own if you have the knowledge and experience, uh, but you go to uh, a platform that can help you do payment processing, they already know how to do that, right? They have a relationship with the banks, and, you know, Thomas and Kyle, you guys can speak more on the processing side, and, you know, I'm sure you have friends in our space that do both, right? They'll have the offer on ClickBank, but they'll also do some processing on the side, Uh, but these guys have been doing the, have been playing this game for a really long time.
1: Yeah, I mean, what you're kind of highlighting there is basically anything direct response is going to be regarded as high risk merchant processing, right, Um, to any of the mids or kind of things out there. So, you know, a common mistake we see is people get launched on Stripe, for example. It's easy, it plugs in, it's cheap, um, you know, relatively, and it rolls out pretty quickly. The issue is that Stripe is going to regard almost any direct response marketing campaign as high risk. Um, and there's a lot of nightmare stories out there of, yeah, scale hits, like Anna's saying, and then um, merchant processing gets locked up, <laughs> right? And they stop it and they hold money. Um, I've heard of rebills getting canceled, right? Like, you know, six figures and monthly recurring rebills going, I'll just lock it up, right? Because they don't know, they don't actually know what you're selling. And, you know, unless you're a very large company doing eight, nine figures, right? you are not you don't matter to them as much. Right. So they're not going to take the time to really vet it. They're just going to cancel it. Um, And that's the thing. It's kind of like, it's kind of like web hosting. It's not a problem until you don't have it. (laughs) Um, And that's where, yeah. (laughs) And that's where affiliates can get upset too. Right. You probably don't even think about processing as an affiliate until you hit a CPA cap. Right. And it's like, Oh, we hit our cap on this because they're balanced. They're mid balancing. Right. And that's where I think Kyle and I would both agree and probably Anna too, right? It's like, if you're new to the offer space, make it as simple as possible on the operations front. So you don't have to think about it, right? And that it just works, right? And that's where things like to plug ClickBank, right? Um, We had a vendor last two days, a single offer did over $1 million in sales per day, right? On Sunday and Monday. unless you have an amazing long-term relationship with your banks or mids, you're not going to be able to do that. (laughs) Um, You're going to have to have that spread out across a dozen different mids. Right. Um, Maybe even more to kind of like help balance that and trickle that, which is a nightmare. So it's like, yeah. So it's, I I would just say, like use something that works and is simple and is trusted. Um, And then, you know, if you want to diversify later, it's a lot easier to layer things in at that point than be scrambling because your hair's on fire and you have to all of a sudden find new mids or find new processing and move the offer around different places. Yeah. And even having that like back channel
2: of stability, because, you know, we've heard time and time again, even from established marketers as they diversify running into so many processing issues, um, you know, it's, you never really know how a bank is going to behave. Um, When you're not, as Thomas said, big enough for them to really care, you're kind of just a number on a spreadsheet somewhere um, that, that someone's probably algorithmically going to handle and take care of. Um, So, so that, that creates a huge weak spot in your business. So yeah, finding something early on when you pick that stable source that, you know, is going to take all those headaches away, allows you to focus on the parts that really, really matter recruiting affiliates, creating an optimized offer, the marketing side, which is hard enough, um, that you, you don't want to necessarily add in all those additional things. I'd tell you too, a lot of the benefits of having your own mids come at scale anyway. Um, so you're, you're really, you know, there's a time and a place for that. Let yourself get there before you worry about it and and find someone that can do it for you.
1: Yeah. I was chatting with Cody, right. And he was, uh, He's like gosh I I wish I would have just not been distracted by mid's early long on right he's like I probably spent as much money trying to problem solve yeah. you know lower rate in mid's than I did actually getting lower rate yeah <laughs> so,
0: uh, we heard it, and I know you guys heard it. I know I've heard it a lot, and it, it's you know, it, it's uh. I'll just share an example, right? We don't know how the processing yet is. Let's pretend you are going to QuickBank uh, or any other payment processing that you're used to working, and you're like, okay, I want to get my offer on, and your commentator is going to say, not a problem. So we'll keep ten percent from. And as soon as they hear the numbers, right, it can be 10%, 7%, 5%, whatever. Oh, it's just examples. I'm not sure how uh, how the pricing is. But they're like, well, on Stripe, I can get 2%, right? And many times they don't get it because um, – what- The payment processing platforms offer, it's the risk, the relationships. They have chargeback mitigation processes in place. Uh, They have a brilliant customer service team that's going to answer the calls of your customers, Uh, great account managers that can help your affiliates when you cannot. So it's a lot that goes behind it. So we're not trying to say it's impossible. Don't even try getting your own processing. Not at all. Uh, It would would be brilliant to try both if you plan, especially if you're in the U.S. and you can do it. Uh, Try both, right? Have the offer on on one of the payment processing platforms and then try to do it on your own, too. Uh, But what I can tell you from my experience, from the affiliate perspective, it's the most frustrating thing in the world. And we get frustrated. And here at Maxweb, you know, we are usually very happy and very, you know, kind people. When an offer owner says, well, I have a cap. Sorry, guys, you cannot send any more traffic. Yeah. So we just spend two months telling all our beautiful partners, like, you know, you guys listening in, this is a good offer. It's converting well, which is true. Mm-hmm. Is great. We got you all the resources, all the links. You're sending traffic. And then to come and hear that from the product owner, like, sorry, you have to pause. It's the absolute worst. Right. And let me tell you guys, when you pause an offer, um, Many affiliates are not going to come back. No, I honestly am very hesitant when a product owner doesn't have their processing in place. I'm very hesitant to take them back on as a client, right? And I know we're live and I shouldn't say anything that we're. I mean, you're here because you want to hear the real deal, and sure. this is it. I personally, when a product owner doesn't have their processing in place and they make us work for the traffic, we do a good job of getting the good affiliates on, and they tell us, sorry, uh, we have issues with our caps, we're not happy, right? So Thomas said something very important earlier, and I would love to pick an example of an offer that has the processing on ClickBank uh, that you guys love on MaxWeb, and that's Valley Tonic. You guys, that offer is doing so well. You guys love it. I love it. Every day when I look at the numbers of how well you guys are doing, I'm so happy. So I'm happy. Thomas is happy. Kyle is happy. And we know we're not going to get that call that says, sorry, uh, you guys cannot push the offer anymore. Uh, Close your Facebook accounts. Close your Google accounts. So that's a beautiful example where, you know, I actually had the the question, right, from affiliates doing so well on that offer, like, is it okay? Can I push more? And I'm like, sure.
2: <laughs>
0: so it's, it's the reality. It's it's important. And we're, we're not trying to sell you on anything. We're just being honest about what we are seeing in our, you know, everyday lives on, on our full-filled Skype of messages and uh, it's processing it's, it's very important so just be careful and ask questions I mean a lot of people like us here in the space we always help each other because we know uh, in our industry actually we all make more money when we help each other right because we move the customers to specific offers lists, so we all end up making more money when we work together so truly we're just giving you advice on what we are seeing um all right. So you you got it.
1: I'll
0: stop speaking. <laughs> the thing is important.
1: Right, exactly right. Yeah. that's <laughs> Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I, you really hit on a big one, too, is reputation. Um, and I think that's a big one, especially for an offer owner, is having a good reputation with your affiliates, making sure they get paid, they get paid on time, and they don't have a bunch of issues with running your offer at scale, um, And which doesn't just have to be processing. It could also be, and this is a nice transition. Customer support, if you have some issues there and re- returns and chargebacks and things like that start spiking, and all of a sudden you can't offer the same CPA or your rev share starts getting hit. Those are all things that really hurt your reputation, hurt your business in the long run. Absolutely. So that's actually
0: the next thing on our list fulfillment and customer service. So if you're thinking about creating a supplement, which I know is the hype and it's what's working right now, you're going to have to think about fulfillment and customer service. So I'll let you guys educate everyone a bit on why good fulfillment and good customer service is important. Mm
1: Yeah. Gosh, it's, it's going back to that bottom line, you know, number of your cash flow. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Um, if your refunds are just spiking, right. You're going to be hemorrhaging cash, especially if you're paying CPA, right. Cause you're not getting that back on rev share. Um, and then gosh, and it can just become such a nightmare, especially when we're talking about mid balancing or your rates, right. If your refund rates bleed into high chargeback rates, which bleed into high friendly fraud rates um, that's when things will start to get gammed up. Wow. I keep doing that you <laughs> jumped up really quick right I like up jumped, jumped up. up yeah jumped yeah, up damn,
0: really quick yeah. up. well I, for me it's easy I can always blame it on well I wasn't born in the US
1: so.
2: <laughs> I don't have an excuse Yeah, just <laughs> I promise you're from Northern Idaho. Most people
1: assume not that you really don't learn way. to read until you're like
0: <laughs> fifth grade yeah. or something
1: like that. You know, learned yeah. it up the crick. Yeah, it's a. <laughs> but um, no, so it's like re- customer service. In my opinion, outside of everything else we've covered, right, is one of the first things to break, especially for new offer owners when scale starts to happen. Um, usually, they don't have anything in place for it. They're kind of catching up, uh, and it's like they'll be. Gosh, how many stories have we all heard about, oh, my gosh, my wife and I were up till 4 a.m. answering customer service tickets, right? Because yeah. <laughs> there's no yeah. one else to do it. They didn't plan for yeah. it,
2: right? Yeah. Um,
1: Which is what every
2: offerer wants to do. is just yeah. answering customer yeah. service
1: tickets. Like, it, right? I was yeah. sitting there stuffing envelopes all night. Yeah.
0: Yep. <laughs> Think about it. A lot of Product owners love to have their face on the offer. So you're going to get Facebook messages, Instagram. I know Todd, Todd Lamb. <laughs> yeah. how he got so many messages on Facebook when he started years and years ago. Yeah. And he to answer to everything on his own. He still does a lot of it, which, you know, amazing. But it's, it's true. And yeah. same with fulfillment. I would love to add that. If you're starting your fulfillment in your garage, um, you're going to have the same thing happen. How are you going to fail? Or you're just going to work 24
1: seven? Yeah, no, it's, you really need to have that lined up ahead of time, especially if you know you're working with some affiliates that if it goes well, we'll send more traffic, right? Um, Cause we're all, I, I think almost everyone in this space is very good at offense, right? We're very good at making better offers, convert, you know, optimizing conversions, sending more traffic when it's going well. Um, there's very few people that are good at the defensive part, you know, actually having um, backup plans in place if mids or hosting go down, having backup plans in place, if customer service scales, right? If fulfillment issues scale. So it's kind of having those conversations um and understanding that yes, there's costs involved with that, right? Um, but it is part of a healthy long term business, not a well, that's going to crumble um, in six months because you didn't have those things in place and everything's not kind of on fire. I guess Kyle, do you, do you have any, like I think you've got more one on one experience with this, right, when things are going well, what do you think they need to have in place, you know from like say day one to you know sixty of like a scaling offer with customer service?
2: Yeah. I mean, customer service, one, just being able to, you want to be able to have a process where you could unlimitedly scale. So quickly be able to hire and bring on more people. And one of the biggest things with all of this is a term that I don't think is often used in the affiliate space when you're first starting up, which is SOPs. You have to have standard operating procedures for every piece of your business. So it could scale without issue. Um, So when you need to change manufacturing or if you need to create new products or with customer service, you they're able to answer questions and do it quickly. And I could plug another person in there um, and it's just, it's just kind of push a button almost to bring somebody in. Um, and, and so that, that's a key component to make sure you can handle those, those swaths of sales or a promotion that all of a sudden brings in an influx of sales and questions um, that you're flooded with. But um, you know, yeah, being able to kind of have those SOPs in place could really save your butt. And it's a huge piece of that.
1: Question for both of you, like, in your opinion, is that something you start with outsourcing with like an offshore kind of agency who can handle it for you? Is that something you try to do internally? Like, how do you you like to approach that or advise on that? I've got my opinion, but. Yeah, I I think
2: you should. um, I think two, like I guess three approaches that I would do. I think one, before you outsource, understand some key component or at least have some general working knowledge of what you're outsourcing. It's going to make you hire and select people way better and evaluate performance way better. If you don't have that in place, you don't know anything about what you're outsourcing. You're just putting yourself in a position to be taken advantage of. So don't do that. Um, so that's always your first step. But then definitely outsource because if, you're, if it's not your realm of expertise, you don't know how to do it. You just need it done and you need it done well. Outsourcing could do that for you. They could do it at a fraction of the cost um, and they could normally scale with you um, if not unlimitedly for a significant amount of time. So you don't have to worry about those headaches. And then when you're ready with the strategic plan, start bringing that stuff in house, because um, if there is a point where outsourcing at scale gets too expensive and bringing in house will improve the quality and lower your cost. Um, but that, that needs to be kind of a slower, Hey, let's bring this in. As we go, we kind of know what we need. We have those SOPs built out in place now. And and potentially have something that's going to run that side. Do you like a
1: do you like a blended approach there, where it's a mix of internal and outsource? I guess it depends on scale, maybe. But
2: I I think it depends. For me personally, depends on what what the um, function is. So I think customer support, ideally, if you can bring that all in house at scale, when you're when you're big enough, because um, a, a contracted. Um, you know, agency doing customer support, you're not going to have dedicated care. You're going to have a rep that still has several different companies they're working with, um, which means they have several, they just can't get to that level of really complex customized care that you might want. It's harder to pivot all those things. Right. But when you bring it in house, um, you're going to have a lot more, let's um, say leeway and inability, but you know, knowing you have those relationships established, if you ever just need more, because um, as you brought up the example Tyrese, uh, you know, quotes about your numerology quiz that you need to take and your offer explodes in a way that you didn't even plan on. Uh, you know, you still have, you still have those relationships with, with agencies to bring people on fast um, and then, you know, obviously replace over time. So that, that's um, a key component. I, I do think though on the flip side, if you're doing media buying, um, you know, copywriting, um, even sometimes just marketing, bringing in outside help, like strategists, agencies. I know this is like way beyond what we're talking about before, but I think that's super big. And a lot of that's from my experience actually in the accounting and finance world. So Fort's or 500 companies like these, they mat- at like manage billions of dollars in fixed income assets, right? They have in-house teams. They also constantly hire outside firms. To try different strategies and elevate their own teams up. So there's definitely a realm to go outside and contract and and I, I think even the biggest companies are still constantly contracting. Um, but it's more contract first, bringing it in as you go um, in house. But but that's kind of a slower process to
0: do it right. I I love the question and we have seen this a lot. And my first question to you guys listening or watching this. Um, is how much do you want to work? I mean, (laughs) uh, if you're okay with doing 22-hour day shifts, you and your spouse and two other friends because you're just getting started, uh, you're already done writing the copy. You're going to have to answer to uh, all your affiliates or the max web account managers or Thomas or anyone getting they need swipes and they need links and they need post back takes all set up. So you're probably the deaf person too. Um, you also have to do everything else. It's going to be a bit tough to answer all the calls, uh, reply to all the emails. So if you're just getting started, you really have to be honest with yourself. I know you're a brilliant person. You probably have a high EQ, a high IQ. Um, but it's so much harder than it looks. Uh, you know, all of us work a lot. We are used to that uh, you know, level of like craziness and stress. But if you wanna be successful, you need to do things right. And if you're not ready to put in twenty hours days, maybe have maybe you love your life and you don't wanna die young, right?
2: <laughs>
0: um Definitely look into options. There are so many good options on in our industry, specifically for customer service, um, that can help great, great you know, people that are doing this all the time. And then I 100% agree with Kyle. Once you have a beautiful offer, you're comfortable, you have your customers, you are going to afford to hire someone to do it in-house. But chances are, from your first month, even your first year, you're not going to hire two full-time agents. I mean, that's a lot. That's your money of paying your fees, right? So you have to really decide what you want to do first. So I agree. Um, Outsourcing, especially when you're getting started, it's a beautiful idea. Uh, But then when you're growing, of course, you want to have agents that know and love your brand.
2: Yeah. I don't even know if if you even start thinking about bringing stuff in-house until you're in the eight figure range in annual revenue, honestly, um, for for customer support. So, um, but yeah, I think that's a great summation in it.
0: Yep, absolutely. Um, So the other thing I had on my list here, which is very important because good affiliates and you know, uh, those uh, those are the guys watching, we don't really know how much fraud is in our industry, right? So I had fraud underlined here, um, fraud, so what does the, what for product owners, this is a big one uh, because you're going to have affiliates that are not as honest and wonderful as you are. Uh, there's so many shady ways in getting bad traffic, and with you know, name it, what we're going to name the ugly ones stolen credit cards, bots. You're going to find ways of getting close customers, uh, which means you're going to have a lot of refunds, a lot of chargebacks that are going to hurt your mids. And also, if you're paying CPA you already pay that to your affiliates, right? So fraud is a big one. And this is important. And we really want you to know when you're moving forward, you have to be very careful who you're going to work with, right? So I don't know if you guys have, I'm sure you have. What am I talking about? Uh, Why is fraud important to product owners? And why you have to be super careful with the affiliates you work with?
1: Yeah, um, I'll start, Kyle, if you like. Um, It's... So fraud um, is the most important metric, if you will, to like the card brands, right? Visa and MasterCard and like things like that. Like your fraud rate on those is, you know, chargeback rate is super important too, right? Chargeback and fraud, but fraud is, the most important um if your fraud rate is getting out of whack that's one of the fastest things that will get you shut down on like being able to process visa for example um or just a mid in general across the board so handling that is very and in the in the area for risk it's, it's like is it one percent of one percent um it's like what where it's one percent of transactions on visa for example have to be you have to have like less than one percent fraud coming in every mm-hmm. The yeah. hard part, like Anna said, is right. There's a lot of real fraud, right? People testing stolen credit cards, kind of thing like bots, things like that. The other really hard part to manage is friendly fraud, which mm-hmm. is simply I bought a product, um, I and you know, and I forgot about it. I'm going through my credit report, and I'm going, I don't remember what this charge was. I'll just charge it back. Or I'll just tell Visa or Mastercard or American Express, whatever that. I don't know what this charge was get rid of it kind of thing. They count that as friendly fraud, quote unquote. It's not a chargeback. It's not a refund. Um, and it it really affects the rates. That's what most of the fraud is, right? Yes, some things can go south and like a bunch of stolen credit cards can come through. Ideally, you're working with a, something like ClickBank or Maxwell, right? That can help mitigate some of that by using counts on the backend or other fraud mitigation softwares. Um, but the friendly fraud, the friendly fraud part is one of the hardest things to mitigate. And that's also where customer service can come in, right? If you have proactive customer service and good email ascension um, after, you know, a kind of outreach, which could be through SMS, it could be through email, it could be through customer service calls. If you have good proactive outreach, you can actually get in front of a lot of issues that might've happened and become a chargeback or refund or fraud. And that's, that's what people don't often understand is that, um, you might see something come through as a refund and then all of a sudden it hits as a fraud dollar later, right? Cause they're kind of getting reported differently. So one transaction could almost double ding you in a way, right? It could be a chargeback. It could be fraud. It could be refund. It could be fraud. It could be just a sale. And all of a sudden the fraud hits and refund happens later. Like there's lots of ways, like we have a whole risk team at ClickBank dedicated just to trying to mitigate friendly fraud, right? Cause it's the most impactful thing to like the bottom line um, of our merchant processing. That's right. So,
2: yeah. Yeah, it's 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 the quickest path to te- like it's the fraud is one of the biggest risks towards your cash as a yeah. business, it's your ability to receive cash and take cash from your customers. So um and tom's is definitely right. Like I think um the one we spend more time talking about with our clients happens to be with a friendly fraud, but a lot of that is because we've invested so much time, money, and experience yeah. in preventing all that front end fraud that you mentioned like card testing, bad affiliates, you know, we're not even getting to the spam side of things, which is also a form of fraud. Um, So that's where, where trust really matters and making sure that either one, you're, you're working with partners that are vetting affiliates. Um, They're, they're making sure that, you know, they're tracking when that stuff starts to happen. So they kick off the ones that might've, you know, maybe passed their initial vetting um, and keeping you getting good quality traffic and working with good quality partners. Um, and, And, you know, that's, that could be just such a big challenge early on. It's getting the wrong affiliate. And like you said, they could wreck your business because you just jack a bunch of fraud. The second piece, and just, I Thomas spoke very eloquently on the friendly fraud. The one thing I always like to plug in there um, is friendly fraud tends to be more of a product delivery issue than a, a copy issue. So it, it's entirely back end. So you have your preventative fraud on the front end at the order form, which is software experience, um, and vetting. And then you have for the friendly fraud, which is really a back-end product delivery process. Um, and a lot of people starting out when they're creating their own offer, they think a lot about getting people to buy. They don't think a lot about what happens after <laughs> they buy. Like, yeah. how, how am I giving it to them? Do they do they know what they're getting? Do they feel stupid after what I just gave them? Um, those are all things that are really going to hurt your fraud number.
1: I will say I, I do think the copy comes into play when the product deliverability and experience is not up to par with the copies promising, right? Because right. um, yeah. you're overselling at that point, and then your product comes in, it's like, wait, what is this? Right? We saw that a lot a few years ago in like the low ticket um, biz op space, right? It was like these super aggressive, compliant claims, but they were aggressive, and the net impression was, you know, very little work for a lot of money. Then you get into the back end course, and it's like it's impossible to tell what's going on there's just a bunch of affiliate links everywhere right so it's like the product quality was really low the promises were really high and it just almost immediately created issues across the board mm-hmm. yeah
2: yeah so if you're gonna make big aggressive claims you better mm-hmm. deliver a big valuable <laughs> product is, yeah.
0: kind of i'm so glad you mentioned that because that was a thing i really wanted to touch base uh, upon today so uh we're in the performance marketing space, right? We're going to be aggressive with our claims. But that doesn't mean we don't have to be decent people. Uh, and, and I really believe this. I mean, uh, you know, you'll go on MaxWeb, you'll go on ClickBank, you'll see we have a lot of, like, super aggressive offers, right? But that doesn't mean you cannot, as a product owner, uh, really offer value to your customers. At least make sure you're present. on calls, make sure you pick up the phone and you chat with those customers. Send them emails with free recipes. Uh, Just find ways to giving something back to the customers because we spend money on your product, right? So I fully believe you as a product owner in our space, you know, be aggressive with your sales copy. You really want to be decent to your customers because if you're serious about the brand, it's really the only way it's going to last. And I, I, I don't know. One thing that I really want you guys to be careful if you're thinking about creating your own offer: be super careful with your recurring products. Um, Recurring products are a no-no if you're not really clear, you know, that you're really going to charge.
1: About the billing terms, yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. my, My personal expertise: if you're serious about becoming a product owner be aggressive you know you're an affiliate you're going to create some awesome marketing to have the flesh and the colors and whatnot uh, but try to be decent on the back end
1: yeah Definitely. 100% that's
2: <laughs> okay, you got. You really have to deliver what you're going to sell you know if, if you can't even get in that ballpark um, you either need to elevate your product or dial back your marketing because um, if not you're going to get burned eventually so especially with continuity Because one thing we didn't say, like, if they buy the product once, that's one instance of of fraud chargeback refunds. If it's a reoccurring subscription, they bought it once, but they paid for it five times. That could be five instances of um, friendly fraud, which is going to
1: make your business go kablooey. And it's just so hard to fix. And the issue there, right, is that it all piles into the month where they issue those chargebacks or kind of, yeah. free, right? So like if, if you sold, if this has been selling since January and it's now April, right, you're going to have three or four billings land in April against your sales for April, right? So it's like yeah. the denominator gets really in a negative against you pretty quickly if that starts to happen on a consistent basis.
2: Yeah, and trying to fix it is uh, – because even what you fix today – is you're still paying for the problems from yesterday? Yes. you know, So it's it takes it's really
1: painful. X plus months just to get out of it. Yeah, it's like
0: <laughs> that's
2: yeah. all this gray hair in my beard. <laughs> it's trying to that's it.
0: oh, I'm mine. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I you're not gonna believe this, but we uh we've been doing this for an hour, uh, three <laughs> minutes <laughs> part of an hour. I know. I looked up and I was like, "Oh, we have a good half an hour here, and <laughs> we have a good three minutes left." <laughs> so, uh, wow, uh, that just means we have to have you guys again. Uh, <laughs> you have to commit live this way. I know for sure it's it's settled. So,
1: okay,
0: we're coming back, right?
1: Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is,
0: it is. the commitment is live. Um, <laughs> I would love for you guys to just share. Um, one big takeaway. I mean, from all the podcasts, if someone is coming in or, you know, they're listening through and uh, going to the end of the podcast to see like the last few minutes, please tell me what should they take away from our chat? Just the big takeaway. I'll let you guys uh, each go ahead first. I don't know Thomas, Kyle.
2: <laughs> <laughs> go, I guess I'll go first. It's fine. Yeah. So, um, Yeah, And a big takeaway is, one, um, if you want to go and create your own offer, fantastic. Slow down, find what you know you want to do, what you can do, and try and outsource the rest. Like, really keep your your focus narrow um, when you're – because, like, once you have a product, there are so many more distractions that enter into your world. So just really keep things simple and focused on what you want to do, what you need to do. Outsource the rest.
1: Yeah. Um, for me, it's right. Get really clear on the why you're doing it. You know, um, I've seen a few different people build out an offer from being an affiliate and they'll shut down the offer and just go keep doing the affiliate thing at a bigger scale. Right. So it's like, um, yeah, just get really clear on why you want to do it. Understand the pros and cons. There's a lot of great pros at having your own offer. Right. Like we've discussed um, just it can be a lot longer road to hoe to actually get there than people realize. Um, so it's a trade off if you want to double down on what you're already good at, or if you want to kind of branch out and diversify and kind of change and shift your business model.
0: I love it. Those are great ones. And from my humble opinion, if you're thinking about this, and I probably told you a lot of you guys this, uh, don't break or change something that is perfect. So you are very good as an affiliate. If you like it and if you enjoy it, right, we're not talking about you hating your life while you do a full work. If you actually enjoy it and you make beautiful money out of it, why really think about, you know, being a product owner? So, the grass is not always greener, so, you know, it's not that we don't encourage you. We have definitely seen people succeed with the transition, you know. I know you guys have, I have, uh, but just really ask the wise, as Kyle said. That's that's a big one in my opinion. for sure you guys uh do you want to add something else is I, I
2: was just gonna say if you ever want to get a hold of thomas and i to talk more about you know offer creation stuff or, or you're looking to say hey you know i do need some processing and i want some of that headache taken away for me um you know reach out to you know me via social um you know through facebook um i don't really do well i don't yeah, Facebook's good, so just <laughs> Um And then also Skype, just Kyle.Costeca. Feel free to reach out. Um, we can have a call or answer some questions and see if we can help you out.
0: I love it. And what we do after the call, we actually have uh, the live is going to be on Facebook as a beautiful video post. So the account managers are actually going to add, if that's okay with people, uh, your Skype or your email. Which actually- yeah. So we'll add it and, uh, in the comment section at the bottom. So that means everyone that was so wonderful and was present with us today will have, uh, you know, a way of contacting you. But then all our friends that are going to listen in later today, they can still find a way to contact you. So if you're okay with that, we'll make sure to add uh, your email to the comment.
2: Perfect. I am. Yep.
0: Um, well thank you so much you guys uh, i personally learned a lot from you as i as i always do i appreciate you and uh have an awesome day and uh, now you have to, to
1: uh, <laughs> we <We're> committed
0: yeah <laughs> yeah yep. so, ever- thanks
1: so much for having us yeah, yeah it's awesome <laughs> it's fantastic. great guys
2: have a good one
0: thank you